You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Elma Sands was 22 years old when she was murdered in New York City. Her body was thrown into the Manhattan well on December 22, 1799. And this became a sensational story. It was gruesome, it was shocking, it was scandalous. Everyone called it the crime of the century. But now, nobody knows the name Elma Sands. When I stumbled upon the Manhattan Well, I was working as a tour guide. It's in the basement of a clothing store in Soho. It's unmarked, seemingly random. It's this big pillar of old bricks, incongruous with everything around it. And I watched people pass by it with no idea that a 22-year-old was killed right there. And I couldn't believe that. But when stories don't get told and histories aren't protected, they get erased. Elma's murder case went to trial, and that trial shaped the justice system that we have today. The defense lawyers on the case were Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, and their client, the guy Elma was sleeping with, faced a death sentence. Everyone knew it would be a big show. So, for the first time in U.S. history, there were stenographers in the courtroom taking notes, leaving us several partial written accounts of this trial. I've created this dramatic adaptation of all my research to share this truly unbelievable story with you. I'm Allison Flom, and this is Erased, the murder of Elma Sands. Are you ready? Our story begins on March 31st, 1800, at City Hall on Wall Street. The proceedings were scheduled for 10 a.m., and the trial was open to the public, so the courtroom was packed with massive crowds spilling out onto the streets, chanting, Justice for Elma! Justice for Elma! And inside the courtroom... Order! Constable, can you shut the windows? 
Good. Bring in the prisoner. They brought Levi Weeks into the courtroom in chains. Levi was this refined, privileged guy who was looking way different than usual. He'd been sitting in jail for three months, and it showed. And this was the first time people were seeing Levi since things were normal, since before he was indicted for the brutal beating and felonious murder of Elma Sands. The prisoner Levi Weeks pleads not guilty. The accused was actually not allowed to testify in their own trials, so Levi would sit silently the entire time. So you won't hear from Levi in the courtroom, but you'll hear a lot about him. Rather than defending his own case, Levi Weeks has exercised a new American right to a private counsel. Which means he hired private defense attorneys, which people didn't usually do at this time. This was all new and completely revolutionary. Levi sat at a table with his lawyers, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, standing beside him. Notorious frenemies, yes, but they worked as a team on this case. They'd been preparing for months, and they were excited for this performance. We look forward to presenting our case, Your Honor. And then at the opposite table was a sweaty, anxious, very underprepared prosecutor, the assistant attorney general, Kedwalader D. Colden. Good morning, folks. There were several stenographers in the courtroom to take notes and publish their accounts of the trial, which had never happened before. Of the New York State and Judge, Judge John, John Lansing, Lansing presided. He was boisterous, he was emphatic, he was excited about justice, but he didn't know how it should go. The key players here knew that they were figuring it all out along the way. But at the beginning, most of them acted like they knew exactly what was going on. Proceed, Mr. Colden. Uh, right. Yes, um... Your opening remarks, Colden. Right now, right? At your earliest convenience, yes. The girl would be better off to represent herself from the grave. <laughs> if you're thinking Colden is fumbling this from the beginning, you're not wrong. Colden's career as a lawyer so far has been pushing papers. It's been admin. He's never done anything like this before. The jurors were all friends and colleagues with each other and with Alexander Hamilton and the judge and Aaron Burr, but not Colden. So Colden was left out. He was underqualified and underconnected. He started by trying to paint a vivid picture of Elma Sands for the jury, like this. Her name was Julie Elma, but everyone called her Elma. Everybody liked her. She was a sweet, happy, virtuous girl. Until she met that man right there. Levi Weeks murdered Elma in cold blood. Levi tricked her because he's a liar. He lured her in, deluded her into thinking they'd be married, and she believed him. Poor, poor thing. The night of December 22nd, Elma Sands thought Levi was going to marry her. But instead, he strangled her then tossed her body into the Manhattan well. Levi is malicious, dangerous, guilty. I'll prove to you the undeniable truth that Levi Weeks murdered Alma Sands, and he thought he'd get away with it. Mr. Weeks should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. The law is whatever we say it is. You got that right. Your client took a human life, Mr. Burr. Take it easy, Colden. You look nervous. And you look like a murderer's attorney, Mr. Hamilton. Call your first witness, Colden. Uh, 
shouldn't I wait for the defense to make their opening statement? No, they'll do that later after you present your case. Proceed. Uh, okay. The prosecution so the first witness the called to testify Mrs. was Catherine, Catherine Ring, Ring Elma's cousin. Catherine was intense and New York-y, but she was a farm girl at heart. She had curly red hair tucked up into her bonnet, and she was, like, calm and confident as she walked past the jury up to the witness stand. As soon as Colden introduced her... Mrs. Ring is the wife of Elias Ring. The two of them run a boarding house in Millinery out of their home. Are you comfortable, Catherine? I'm fine. Can I start testifying? She was ready to go. The first questions for Catherine were about her boarding house, 208 Greenwich Street so the jury could get a sense of where Elma lived. Can you tell us about it? My house has seven bedrooms. We have um, eight rooms, sweetheart. My house has seven bedrooms that can be rented out, plus my bedroom. Or the, the one I share with my husband, of course. The house is for young, single people. Uh, our boarders are usually new to New York, or working, or not quite ready to get married yet. Outside the house, the boarders do what they want. Inside the house, they follow my rules. They have a nightly curfew, and they pay rent to me each month. Did Alma pay rent to you? No, Alma was family. She worked for me in the hat shop with Hope, another one of our boarders. Does your husband help? Of course I do. Of course he does. Mr. Ring helps you in the hat shop. Oh, Oh, no, he doesn't really help with that. Um, Elias is really busy. Running the house, protecting the property, keeping track of the finance. Sh- should I actually come up there? It might be easy. Mr. Ring, sit down. I want to help my wife. I was just saying that. Don't just say anything else, Catherine. Your Honor, the defense requests that the witness's husband be removed from the chambers. Removed? He's disruptive. I'm helping my wife. Do you need help, Catherine? No. Can I keep going? Hold on, Mrs. Ring. We have to figure this out. Mrs. Ring's testimony easily could be influenced by her husband's energy. My energy is fantastic. You're Your Honor, remove him. The witness is distracted, Your Honor. Me? I'm not the one who got distracted, Mr. Hamilton. I'm trying to testify. I refuse to continue until Elias Ring is removed from the chambers. So we're going to do this every time a married woman testifies in an American courtroom for fear she'll be distracted? Constable, remove Elias Ring from the chambers. On what grounds? Seriously? Got it, sir. Touch me. Order! So after Elias was escorted out of the courtroom, the lawyers and judge used Catherine's time on the stand to start establishing rules and customs for how everything should go. Before she could even begin telling the jury about Elma, the defense attorneys distracted her and tried to diminish her credibility. But Catherine powered through those distractions. She knew Elma the best of anyone. On the day of the murder, Alma and Levi were planning to elope. Alma said Levi would pick her up at 8, they'd be married, and then home before curfew. Wait! Objection. Ugh, what now, Hamilton? Statements from the deceased are not admissible evidence. Wait, I can't tell you what my cousin said to me? No, you cannot, Mrs. Ring. That can't be. No, yeah, that's not a real rule. Counselors, you're upsetting Mrs. Ring. (laughs) I'm not upset. I just don't understand how this could be a rule. Can we make this simpler for Mrs. Ring somehow? No, I don't need anything simplified, Mr. Hamilton. Thank you. Levi wanted to keep Alma a secret. They didn't want anyone to know they got married Objection! Conjecture! Overruled. Conjecture! Conjecture! Take it easy, Aaron. That was conjecture. Alma and Levi started seeing each other last September when I went out of town. Where did you go? 
I went upstate to quarantine. The winter of 1799 to 1800 was a devastating one in New York City. It was freezing and gray and the height of the yellow fever epidemic, so people were falling into delirium and dying by the thousands. New Yorkers were staying home to shelter from the bitter cold and the raging fever, getting out of Manhattan if they could. To avoid the fever, Catherine and the other women in the house went up to New Cornwall in September 1799. But Elma stayed home. And when you left, what was the dynamic between Elma and Levi? Well, they were basically strangers when I left. At that point, Levi was romantically involved with Margaret, another one of our boarders. But then I got a letter from my husband saying that Elma and Levi were sleeping in the same room and likely having premarital sex. I came home shortly after that. Because you had the instinct that Levi might hurt Elma? Can we hold? The witness's husband is back in the chamber. Your Honor, the defense attorneys are scaring my wife. Mrs. Ring, would you be less frightened if your husband stayed in here? Oh, I'm seldom frightened, Your Honor. Good. Constable, get him out of here. Your Honor! Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Catherine, how did you find out about their plan? The night before Elma died, we were in her room. So Catherine testified about her time with Elma in the 24 hours leading up to her death. She told the jury about this moment they had in Elma's room the night before Elma was murdered. I picture Catherine, like, doing Elma's hair, and Elma explains enthusiastically, Eloping is modern and dignified. I thought you'd be into this idea. No more premarital sex in your house. Plus, I know you hate scandals and crowds and fuss. But I like weddings. Don't you want a wedding? What shoes do you think I should wear tomorrow night? Do you think Hope will lend me her good slippers? Not your most subtle topic change, but Hope slippers are too big for you. They're warm in case I have to walk. There will be no walking to your wedding. Tell Levi to pick you up in a sleigh with blankets. Levi doesn't have horses. Well, he can borrow his brother's sleigh. Ezra has tons of horses. I I don't want to ask him to ask Ezra for anything. Hold on, did Levi even get his brother's blessing for this? What does Ezra have to say about it all? My sweet angel cousin, I am excited to marry Levi tomorrow. Please, be excited for me. Or at least pretend everything is normal. The next day... So it's the day of the murder, right? December 22nd, 1799. Mm -hmm. What do you remember? Um, Levi went out to his brother's house in the morning. When did Levi return to the house? Around noon. When he came in, I was making soup, and the boarders were at the table looking at the newspapers. Whoa, Levi... What's with the new walk? You're walking really weird, Levi. I slipped on some ice this morning. Oh no, you fell? Busted my knee. It, it's no big deal. Oh, looks bad. You should rest it. I, I'm alright. For real, you should stay in tonight and play King's Cup with us. I, I can't, rest. I've got plans tonight. Plans? It's Sunday night, and it's freezing. Here. Let me wrap your knee, okay? So Elma wrapped up his knee in cloth, which was kind of an intimate act. Sit. I got you. But the people in the house already knew that Elma and Levi were seeing each other. That's part of the reason there was so much pressure on them to get married, because the house was meant for single people. So Catherine went on, telling the court that after Elma wrapped up Levi's knee, they sat together in the parlor for a while. tea till mid-afternoon, and... Then Levi left again, and Elma went upstairs to get dressed. And when did she come back downstairs? Around 8 p.m. 
She looked so beautiful. Hey, everyone. So Elma came down into the parlor all dressed up. Whoa, Elma, what is that gorgeous thing? It's a hand muff. Rich people have them. If you can't picture this weird accessory, it's like a big piece of rigatoni made of scarf material that you can put both your hands in for warmth. If they come back into fashion, you're welcome. I borrowed it from Mrs. Osborne. Ooh, Mrs. Osborne. <laughs> yeah, she said if I don't give it back tomorrow morning, she'll have my spleen on a silver spoon or something. Well, you look amazing. Way better than usual. That's sweet. What's the occasion? Just, um, going for a walk. All dressed up like that? Yeah. I wanted to feel good. Why do you keep looking at the front door? I don't. What time is it? 8.06. Oh, uh, really? 8.07 now. Maybe your timepiece is fast. Are you waiting for someone? Leave her alone, Russell. I want to know. Well, Alma doesn't have to tell you anything, drunky. You are maxed out on whiskey for the night, Russ. I'm cutting you off. Uh, fine. Then I'm off to bed. Everyone's so boring lately. So after Russell went off to bed, there were no other boarders in the room. It was just Catherine, Elma, and Elias, who Catherine explained was in and out of sleeping. And then a few minutes after eight, Levi came in. He and Elma had a weird performative interaction in the doorway. It went like this. Oh, it's Levi. What a surprise. Hey, Elma. This is Ring. I was just headed out for a walk. And I was just swinging by. So pleasant running into you. Likewise, Elma. And... Everyone. Nice running into everyone here, where we all live. Bye, Elma. Bye. Okay, um, bye. I'll see you at some point in the future when we, um, when we see each other. Oh, honey. Catherine. What's going on? All's well, Elias. You dozed off. What time is it? Um, it's 8.10, sweetheart. Oh, Let's go to bed. All right, I'm headed out for a bit. Wait, didn't didn't you just get home? I did, and now I'm going back out. I'll be home by curfew. Wait, Levi, before you go. Yeah. Are you, um, are you a man with integrity, would you say? Like, are you a good man? I have tons of integrity, Catherine. Like, maybe even too much. No, um, that's actually... Sweet dreams. Okay, good night. Back in the courtroom, Catherine tries to continue testifying through the constant interruptions. Moments later, as I tucked my husband into bed, the front door opened and shut again, and then I heard whispers from my front porch. Hold on, Mrs. Ring. You heard whispers? Yeah, I did, Mr. Hamilton, through my window. Who was whispering? Levi Weeks talking to someone. What were they saying? Well, they were quiet whispers, so I couldn't exactly... You don't know who was whispering or what they were saying, so you have no information, really. I have information. Mrs. Ring, a simpler question. How far is your bedroom from the porch where you heard the whispers? Up one staircase, out the door. And how far is your bedroom from the stairs? I'm not sure. Two yards, maybe? You don't seem sure of anything, Catherine. I'm very sure I heard whispers on my porch. I tucked my husband into bed, and then I went back downstairs. I sat in the rocking chair for a a while. I was awake when Levi got home, 
after he murdered my cousin. Objection, conjecture. Curfew came and passed. I sat there thinking, maybe Elma and Levi slept elsewhere, a friend's house perhaps. But they never communicated any plan like that. Levi's apprentice had been expecting him home, waiting up for hours. His apprentice, Mrs. Ring? Levi's a house carpenter and always has a young man shadowing him. At this point, it was this kid, William Anderson. The carpenter shares a rented room with the apprentice while he studies. Uh, Is it okay if I sleep right here? On the floor? You'll be freezing. I'm, I'm so tired, Mrs. Ring. Levi should have told you he was going out. It's all right. No, he's selfish. I don't like that. I, I, I think he's just eccentric, ma'am. <laughs> it's not eccentric. He locked you out of your room on a Sunday night. It's... Well, it's, it's really his room, Mrs. Ring. It's my house, and it's your shared room as long as you work for him. Goodness, this makes me frustrated. I'll bring you a pillow at least. Oh, uh... Mr. Weeks? Oh, hi. Uh, didn't think anyone would be awake. We're awake. Where's my cousin? Uh, good, good evening, Mr. Weeks. Uh, may I have the keys? It's past curfew, Levi. Sorry, Mr. Anderson. Here you go. Thank you, sir. I'll, uh, I'll leave it unlocked. Unless, are, are you sleeping in Elma's room? Go to bed now. Oh, uh, sorry. Sorry. Good night, sir. Mrs. Ring? Good night. Where were you, Levi? Where's Hope? What did you say, Hope? I'm just wondering, what's what's Hope doing? Is she, is she sleeping? Um, probably. She's been in her room since before tea. Is, is Elma sleeping too? No. No, Elma's not sleeping? Elma is not home yet. Really? But where is she? Um, wasn't she with you tonight? Naturally, Catherine got worried and then suspicious. Where was Elma? The fact that Levi came home after curfew with no idea where Elma was and was then unfazed to hear that she wasn't home yet when they were supposed to be getting married, it left Catherine completely shook. And so Levi's reaction that night became central to the prosecution's case against him. And how exactly did Mr. Weeks respond when you asked about Elma? He looked pale and agitated, like he was hiding something. Objection, speculation! Levi didn't say anything. He just did this. Wait, what do you mean, Mrs. Rain? He took his hand like this. He covered one of his eyes and half of his mouth, and he took a deep breath. It was strange behavior, even for him. Did you tell Mr. Weeks, hey, you're acting strange right now? Why would I say that, Mr. Burr? What did you say to Levi? I told him. I thought Elma was still out, probably alone. Were you trying to stress him out? I was trying to figure out where my cousin was, Mr. Hamilton. Levi went up to bed. Didn't seem worried at all that Elma was still out, in the cold, totally vulnerable. Mr. Weeks was tired, Mrs. Ring. He had a full day. I was tired too, Mr. Hamilton, but I stayed up waiting all night for Elma. She never came home. Around sunrise, I searched the whole house again, double-checked every room. But then it was time to make food for the boarders. Levi came to breakfast in a panic. Where is she, Catherine? I searched the house. She's not here anywhere. Do we have more biscuits, Catherine? On the tray, honey, but be careful. Levi, can you come here for a moment? 
Enough. I'm very worried. Tell me where Alma is. I don't know, Catherine. You're the one who always knows where she is. Except when she's with you. Maybe she's hiding from me. Hiding? Why would she hide from her husband? Hold on. (laughs) Husband? Oh, don't bother pretending, Levi. Alma told me everything. She said that you two went to elope last night and that I could expect you both home before curfew. You're you're crazy. You're... That is so ridiculous. Do not gaslight me, Levi. I know you two got married. I would never marry a girl without Ezra's consent. Can you imagine? He'd kill me. Alma said you had his blessing. Well, I don't. Ezra says I shouldn't date anyone right now. He has huge dreams for me. Liar. My brother thinks Alma is below me. Alma is so high above you in literally every category. I was born into a specific group, Catherine. Alma is just an orphan. If that were true, she'd still be perfect, but Alma isn't an orphan. What? Yes, she is. You don't know her at all. She has a dad in the South somewhere, and her mom is upstate. I just saw her in September. I thought she had no family. I am her family, and you are a stranger. Alma was with you last night, and now she's missing. You're traumatic. She's not missing. Then tell me where she is. I don't know. Then go find her. What if I can't? You have to. So when Catherine confronted Levi the next morning, he immediately just started crying, trembling, yelling. What are you doing? Levi, stop. Ruined. Ruined. All he could say was he's ruined. Ruined. Over and over and over. He cried and cried, saying his future is doomed. All I could think about was Elma. Was Levi still limping at this point? What was that, Mr. Burr? During this conversation with Mrs. Ring, I'm just wondering, was Levi Weeks still limping from his slip several days before? I have no idea. He was wailing in my kitchen, going on and on and on. You weren't paying attention to his disposition, how he was walking? His disposition was crisis, distress. But you would say Levi Weeks has a kind disposition in general. A kind? Yes, Mrs. Ring, a kind disposition. Sure, he's kind, Gentlemen but... of the jury, Catherine Ring admits that Levi Weeks is kind. She always liked him. That's not what I said, Mr. Burr. But you found him to be kind. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs in Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mrs. Ring, where did Alma sleep? Huh, her room was on the third floor, but last fall she started sleeping in the back room on the second floor with Levi sometimes. Mrs. Ring, a quick question about that back room on the second floor. Is that the room that shares a wall with your neighbor's house? Yes, Mr. Watkins built that plaster partition a few years ago. Is that second floor bedroom the most secluded and isolated of the rooms in the house? I mean, I suppose so. That might be why Levi and Alma spent so much time in there, just to have some privacy. Oh, your nails feel so good. Whoa. Keep doing that on my chest. <laughs> I'm practicing my penmanship. Wait, can you read and write? Pretty well. I'm getting a little better. Oh. Huh. I wonder if my brother knows that you're literate. You never asked me about myself, so how would Ezra know? I ask you stuff all the time. <laughs> ask me something right now. Anything. I'll answer. Okay, okay. Do you think I'm going to be rich and successful? <laughs> That's your question for me. Like, what if I become so important that one day they name a holiday after me? Levi, who would name a holiday after you? Wow. Elma. <laughs> wow. I knew you didn't believe in me. Of course I believe in you. No, no, you don't. <laughs> Shh, you don't wake up, Mr. Watkins. I don't care. Rise and shine, Mr. Watkins. Morning. Wakey, wakey. Ow. You have to speak quieter. 
Find. Fine. Fine. Come here. <sighs> Give me your face. I love you. Uh-oh. We've got a situation. You're gonna be late to mass. No, it's not even 8.30 yet. But your nightgown is suddenly disappearing. It's it's a mystery. <laughs> oh, is that so? And somehow, these bloomers are flying down your legs. They can't be stopped. Well, I wonder where they're going. I know where I'm going. Hey, just jumping in here to keep it PG. Also, Elma and Levi were often interrupted by their creepy housemate, like this. <laughs> Oh, 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 sure. You pervert. I'm so sorry. I was just... Um, Were you watching us? Oh, um, don't flatter yourselves. I was going to buy the factor next door. Watkins doesn't even sell cigarettes on Sundays. Plus, this room isn't even on your way to the Watkins. Oh, you were trying to see Elma naked again. You're a creep, Croucher. Get out of here! Richard Croucher was an older British merchant who lodged at the boarding house. Croucher was, like, menacing, ugly, scary, and mean. He'd ultimately actually be declared criminally insane. More on that later. But in 1799, he was just grossly obsessed with Elma. And he did not like Levi Weeks. So Colden used Croucher's testimony to further illustrate Levi's unpredictable, suspicious behavior after Elma disappeared. My name is Richard Croucher. I'm a lodger at 208 Greenwich Street. And you witnessed, closely, Levi and Elma's relationship? I watched Levi ruin her, yes. Elma changed when she started seeing the defendant. Her light dimmed in his company. I'm certain she was frightened of him. He's a frightening man, look at him. Uh, Mr. Croucher, how did you know Levi was guilty? My bedroom is right below Levi's. He didn't sleep for days after Elma disappeared. I found that most suspicious. I could hear Levi all through the night, dragging furniture, hammering, pacing. Gentlemen of the jury, while everyone else in New York City looked for Alma Sands, Levi Weeks was moving furniture, not sleeping. And though this seemed like a win for Colden's case, it was probably naive of him to call a witness who was notoriously controversial and gossipy. So to confirm what we just heard, Colden called Levi's apprentice to the stand. William Anderson. You share Levi's bedroom at the Rings house, is that right? I I share his room, and I know he was sleeping. So he wasn't awake, worried about Elma? You're contradicting yourself, Colden. So Levi Weeks slept soundly on December 22nd, to your knowledge. Because you have no case. He did, yes. And the night after that? This is so hard to watch. Levi slept soundly again. And the third night? Colden, you're embarrassing yourself. Please answer me, sir. Can someone get Cadwallader a calendar? (laughs) The third night? Christmas night? Levi slept fine, again. I think it's clear our client had no trouble sleeping that week. What about the fourth night? Is this a joke? Objection, Your Honor. One more question, then move it along, Colden. I'm just asking Mr. Anderson. Did Levi show signs of anxiety or have trouble sleeping on the fourth night after Alma disappeared? Uh... I I suppose so, but... So, yes, you saw a change in Levi's behavior after Elma had been gone for three days? Uh, Well, first I thought he'd caught the fever, but he wasn't sweating. He was just... shaky. Shaky how? Shaky like his girlfriend just died? I don't know. Hold on. Did Levi seem to know Elma was dead at this point? On the fourth night after Elma disappeared, Levi woke up in the middle of the night with bad dreams. According to his apprentice, William, this was the first time since Elma's disappearance that Levi showed any real concern about it. 
that Levi even seemed phased about Elma disappearing. No, sorry, 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 no, it's me. It's your apprentice. Oh, 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 help me. Help me. Mr. Help me. Oh, even you hate me. Oh, no, even Mr. Reeves, you hate you're me having now. a bad dream. But, Mr. Reeves, oh, I'm losing everything. I'm losing, losing my mind. Right. So Levi's anxiety continued to increase after Elma disappeared. And to reinforce this even further, and to confirm that Levi's behavior following the murder was erratic, Colden called up Hope Sands. Elma's second cousin and another resident at the boarding house. Hope was a freckly, dark-haired girl with a heart of gold. She was self-assured, and she had no problem speaking her mind about Levi to the jury. She told them, Levi was a total zombie after Elma vanished. He was exhausted and, and pale, and he came to me completely manic. Hope! Hope! Come here! I am working, Levi. I need to talk to you. And I need to finish these hats. The rings are struggling with the rent because of those empty rooms. Yeah, so I-, I help the rings too. We all do. You're helping Catherine and Elias with their financial issues? How, specifically? I paid two months rent in advance just to keep their doors open. You didn't pay anything. Everyone knows your brother pays for you. So? So, Ezra's rich. I've seen his house. I don't feel bad for you. Hope! I'm in crisis. Stop it! You're messing with this parade! Sorry, but just Get off of my sewing machine! Hats are not urgent. I'm your friend, and I need your help. You're not really my friend. You're a housemaid who I accidentally slept with a few times. What do you want, Levi? Just sign this. What is it? It's standard. This basically says you've hooked up with every girl in this house. No, no. It says I treated every girl the same way I treated Elma. Where did you even get a document like this? My brother hired attorneys. Just in case. Just in case what? Just in case... Just if the body is found close to here or nearby... The body? So everyone was still hopeful that Elma might come home or that she would be found alive, except for Levi Weeks. He assumed that Elma was dead and that he would be implicated. And as Hope asked, where did he even get a legal document like this? At the time of this trial, Levi's older brother Ezra was building a mansion uptown for Alexander Hamilton. It's called The Grange. It's still there right now. And in New York, guys like Hamilton and Burr had all the power socially, politically, legally, financially. But personally, they didn't have any cash. So both Burr and Hamilton were in debt all the time. And for the mansion project, Hamilton would have owed a favor to his architect extraordinaire, Ezra Weeks. The least he could do was draw up some preliminary legal paperwork to protect Ezra's little brother, Levi. But Hope refused to sign. She knew something wasn't right. It's just a precaution. Keep me protected so the police don't show up and hold me off to Bridewell in chains. Can you imagine? Is Elma dead? I don't know if she's dead or alive. Just sign this. And I said, no way. And then he had the audacity to ask me to get Catherine's signature. And did you? Of course not. Hope, do you think people liked Levi? Before he was accused of this horrible thing. Uh, you know, like everyone was fine with him when he moved in last July. And clearly you liked him. Maybe a little too much? People liked Levi, yes. Until he murdered Elma. 
And Hope went on to testify about an interaction that she had with Levi a few nights after the murder. She was in Catherine's room at the time, trying to figure out where Elma could be, and Levi barged in there like this. Bellevue is first thing on your list tomorrow, but then you have to check all the hospitals. Oh, ladies, ladies, you're being such downers. You're bumming everybody out. Go away, Levi. Hope, Catherine, girls, just let this go. She's gone. What? Elma's gone. Nothing to do about it. Shut up. Why would you say that? Elma probably got sick of this depressing boarding house and ended it, just like she said she would. Yeah, I heard her say that, but she never meant, like, end her life. Order. It it is a figure of speech. Everyone says it. To clarify, everyone threatens to end their own lives? Yes, yes. I've said, uh, you know, if blah, 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 I'd kill myself... There's no possible way that Elma wanted to commit suicide. How would you know that? I knew Elma very well, Mr. Hamilton. But not as well as Levi did, right? Maybe Levi knew her more intimately at the end. So, if Levi said that Elma probably killed herself, then Elma probably killed herself, wouldn't you say? No, I wouldn't say that at all, sir. Elma never said anything like that, Your Honor. You have to believe us. Hope didn't mean... Okay, I was only saying... If Elma accidentally took too much laudanum, her psycho boyfriend drove her to do it, so Elma's death is Levi's fault regardless. Wonderful. Nothing further. Oh, but I think... Step down, ma'am. And once it was said from the witness stand that Elma may have once colloquially threatened to take her own life, the defense attorneys were ready to build their case on that idea. But if Levi Weeks had an alibi, why didn't that come out right away? And why were the most powerful attorneys in Manhattan so focused on eviscerating the character of a dead 22-year-old? In the next episode, the prosecution stumbles upon a secret that threatens the defense's entire case. This is Erased. Stay with us. Erased, the murder of Elma Sands is a production of Lunch Plans and Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number 1. The show is narrated, written, and produced by me, Allison Flom. It stars Allison Williams as Catherine Ring, Tony Goldwyn as Alexander Hamilton, Barry Sheck as Aaron Burr, and Jason Flom as Judge John Lansing. Our executive producers are Allison Williams, Jason Flom, and Kevin Wardis. This show is produced by Goldhawk Productions. The show is sound designed and mixed by Steve Bond. The music is composed and performed by Sasha Putnam. The producer for Goldhawk is Andy Goddard, with production management from Emma Hearn. The executive producer for Goldhawk is John Scott Dryden. You can listen to every episode of Erased, The Murder of Elma Sands, right now, ad-free, by subscribing to Lava for Good Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow the show on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Lava for Good. And for more information on this story, plus a complete list of our incredible cast, visit lavaforgood.com slash erased. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. 
Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.